Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories and we'll be joined by various business people each episode to discuss the news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting out their legal problems. Thanks for listening to this intro and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to episode four of The Business Herald. This week I'm once again joined by James Blacklaws and Jamie Cochran. James is a commercial finance broker for businesses in Leicestershire and the Midlands. James has a degree in law and economics and now has over 15 years of experience in finding SMEs funding. He regularly blogs and talks on banking, financing, finance, and over the last six months has been at the forefront of all of the government's lending schemes. Jamie is an associate with PBC Business Recovery and Insolvency in Northampton. Jamie qualified as an accountant and now helps businesses stuck financially to turn around or restructure. He is constantly on the pulse of developments in insolvency and always seeks to provide practical and helpful advice. Welcome along, gentlemen. Good to be here, Stephen. Yeah, welcome. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for coming back. The first episode wasn't too bad. It didn't put you off for life, which is good. No, no. Very good. Very happy. James, one of the big issues that we've come across this week, we've seen this week, was um, Lloyds Bank being rebuked for requiring bounce-back loan applicants to have a paid-for business account. Um, so, so the background to this story, as I understand it, was there's around 30,000 people that uh, have been operating personal accounts instead of business accounts. And Lloyd's went, OK, well, if you want a business bounce back loan, you're going to have to pay for an account. So what's your take on all of that, James? Well, I mean, as someone who was a corporate manager for Lloyd's for 11 years, I feel reasonably well qualified to talk about this. And um, it's always been a requirement that if you're going to run a business, you need a business account. Now, the complications come is that there's no legal requirement to open a business account if you're a sole trader or a partnership, but the banks insist on it happening. But because of the sheer volume involved, that's not always been the case. So the situation has arisen that if you are a sole trader, freelancer, for instance, turning over, let's just say, £40,000 a year, you can easily run that through a personal account without anyone really knowing about it until you had to apply for a bounce-back loan and then the bank realises that they've got no business connection with you, so therefore unable to verify that you're a business. So what Lloyds have done, as the other banks have as well, as encourage or force clients to open designated business accounts to run their sole trader business through, and often that does come with a charge. Now, my counter to that really is the criticism to that is that I believe you should keep your business account separately, you are breaching the terms and conditions of your personal account by running a business through it anyway. So the bank are actually, I believe, being reasonably generous to you and allowing you to still apply for a bounce back loan. And to be honest, the charges, should they waive them? Possibly, yes. But even if you do pay your charges for a normal sole trader business account, they're no more than a few quid a month. And for the sake of getting the credit you need to keep your business going, I would encourage people to still sign up and still go ahead with this because it's a small price to pay. Absolutely. I, I, I think you're right there, James. I've had um, clients have advised clients on the missale of packaged accounts, similar kind of thing. Um, and the um, conduct of business rules, the FCA's conduct of business rules, 
prohibits it. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to tell somebody that they have to take out this product in order to get this product. But the practical reality of it is banks do it all the time. And like you say, for a for a small fee, I don't know how much a business bank account might be with Lloyd's, 10, 15 pound a month, something like that, maybe. Not, not even that, yeah. Not even that. Five or a month, yeah. yeah. Five or a month. And, um, and, and in return, you get an incredibly cheap uh, bounce back loan. It sounds like, you know, something that uh, should really happen, but they're being, uh, they're being told off and I think they'll go for that. But Jamie, from, a, from an accounting point of view, it's probably a bad idea, isn't it, to run a, a business through a personal account? Definitely. Um, I think you can get in so much trouble because you've not really got an understanding as you're trading going on what money is the businesses and what money is yours. And you can come at the end of the year and realize that you've taken drawings out of the business because you haven't realized it because you're just spending on the debit card um, and whatever, you know, in Tesco's or, or wherever other supermarkets are, are of course available. Um, and you end up in a scenario where you, you've overdrawn out of that account and effectively the, the business is, is making losses and you probably don't know about it. Mm. Um, or you can have tax issues further down the line that, that simply spiral because you don't know the true position of your your business so it is a it is a really good idea to um just to, to keep you and the and the business separate it's certainly uh certainly a big issue and i think lloyds are probably going to get uh their wrists slapped by the regulators but does it really matter to them then they're, they're still still the biggest <laughs> bank aren't they i think realistically lloyds will end up cancelling any charges that apply to these accounts um which won't cost them a huge amount of money at all but i think in the long run the 30,000 people who have been forced along this route will probably actually thank Lloyd's for it because it helps sort out the distinction between your personal and business. And um, I certainly know, having looked at these situations in the past, that it'd be very frustrating to look at business bank statements when on there you've got grocery shopping, Netflix bills, etc., and they're clearly not differentiating between their business and personal expenditure. And, and as Jamie rightly says, how on earth do you determine the profitability of your business and the viability of your business if it's mixed up with your children's school fees and your, your Sky Sports subscription? I can't see how you can do that. So yeah. it's best practice, if nothing else. And if this pushes those people along that route, I think they'll probably be grateful for it in the long run. And, and practically, actually, there's, there's lots of alternatives now to the high street banks. I mean, bank, banks like um, Starling Bank, you know, for business banking, offer completely free packages for businesses. You know, why, why would anybody actually need to pay? You know, even if it's a small amount, you know, you can set up a business account. So if you've got a personal account, move into a business one and, and do that. Um, we've seen a lot in the news uh, this week about the, um, the, 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 the coronavirus support loans and um, people's ability to repay them. So, so one, um, one survey, British uh, Commerce, Chamber of Commerce, has said that they're, they're predicting that one in 10 people, uh, one in 10 businesses will go bust as a result of overborrowing. I personally think that's pretty low, James, and I think, I think you probably agree that that figure might be a bit low. But there's been talk, there's a, a think tank came out yesterday that suggested that the support loans should be repayable only when you make a certain level of profit, almost like student loans. Do you want to talk us through that, James? Yeah, I mean, the, the, to go back on your figures there, the, the total amount of finance that's been lent under the free government loan schemes is around about 53 billion. And uh, 
the latest research suggests that up to 35 billion of that could be at risk and guaranteed by the government, which is um, obviously a phenomenal amount of money. I think we can probably all agree, mm. but not even looking at the time involved. And something that's been proposed, and it's something that chaps like me have spoken about for a while, is rather than having a, a fixed repayment over usually five years, which the bounce back loans maximum was, is um, a system similar to a, a student loan system where repayments or capital repayments are based upon the future profitability of the business. So if the business returns to profits quite quickly, then they pay more back and it's based on what's filed at HMRC um, on the, the, the net profit figure. And if they don't return to profitability for, let's just say, two, three years, then they're not actually paying the debt back in that time but if that business you know can get through those two three years and never turn to profit then effectively they're, they're, they might take them 10 years to pay the loan back but at least they're paying it back because the, the the danger is that with businesses burdened with additional debt following covid they may not be able to trade at all once repayments have to be made and surely a longer slower burn of repayments is better than no repayments at all so the research suggests this could in the long run be a better way of um, the banks recouping the finance that's been lent under these schemes and therefore reducing the liability to HMRC. Yeah, Jamie, what do you think from a um, from a, someone that deals with restructuring and turnaround and solvency point of view? You must have seen cases where businesses have overborrowed and, and they're struggling to repay that debt. You anticipate that's going to happen with coronavirus and you think a repayment scheme like a student debt proposal would work? I think it definitely would work. I think the insolvency industry as a whole thinks that we are going to get busier as a result of, of the pandemic. That's, that's a given. It's just when that is going to occur. And I think the majority of the industry believe that it's when the first repayments start to happen under, under the bounce back loan scheme. Um, because it, are the government effectively going to say that these payments have got to be made? And as James says, if, if a business needs an extra 12 months to return to profitability, that has to be better in the long run for both that business, the government, because they're going to get this loan back, but also the government, because they're not going to have employees that are made redundant that they're going to pick up the cost for. Those employees then effectively claiming universal credit that they're going to pick up the tab for. Um, and, you know, the companies are obviously going to make, if it makes, if it carries on trading, is going to make some, corp, you know, going to make profits, they're going to get taxes on that company going forward. The government does have a tendency sometimes, and, and I'm not talking about this government, I think governments as a whole have a tendency to be sort of short term and, and quite rigid. And it's like, no, the debt's due, it's going to be repaid. It's a checklist that we're going through. It's very tick box. And there's no ability for anyone to think outside the box and come up with a logical solution that's left to the banking industry to to support that business if it, if it thinks it's viable and the government's going to say well if the if the banks aren't prepared to support then why should we but actually that that's very short-sighted um and it and it, and it will lead to businesses failing because they're unable to to meet the both the the bounce back loan repayments that are going to come due and let's not forget that around the same time as that first repayment on that bounce back loan is going to become due the vat that everyone deferred in the first or second quarter of this year is yeah. also going to be done due. Um, and that's going to be a large one-off lump sum payment that a lot of businesses will struggle to meet, I think, because the government effectively, Rishi Sunak, when he stood up and announced it, that this scheme was available, was defer your VAT payment, use that money 
to pay essentials now. And obviously, when you start trading in the second half of this year and the early part of next year, you'll make back that 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 VAT that you had to spend, and you'll have it available, fully available to um to pay back to the government. But I think that was based on a on a very V-shaped recovery that you know the whole COVID would be sorted by now, and it and obviously I think we're I'd, I'd, I'd I'd wager that the vast majority of particularly smaller businesses that deferred their VAT. Um, you know, businesses that perhaps turn from the threshold up to maybe a million, you know, they probably don't have other provision for it and they're going to be struggling uh, for it. Yeah, I, 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 I fully agree. I think I used the term when these um, first announced these um, policies that we were, the government were effectively kicking the can down the road, hoping that something would come up and hoping that they would, yeah, a miracle would happen. I, I don't think it will. And I, I believe to us, sort of the, the touch on your point, Jamie, about when IPs are going to get busy, I think that's when you're going to be inundated with calls from people who are all of a sudden having to find 800 quid on a bounce back loan to pay every month. Plus, they've got a, a VAT deferment of 20,000 quid due and they haven't got a, any money in the bank to actually pay for it with no promise of an increase in trade. So I think the middle of next year is going to be a very busy time for yourself, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, talking, of course. Sorry, James. Sorry to interrupt. Talking about uh, kicking the can down the road, there's been there's been more talk again this week about um, what to do in terms of extending the furlough scheme. So obviously, you've got um, you had at the start of the week, industry giants um, in the car manufacturing industry they lobbying the government for further funding and extension to keep them afloat. We've seen we've seen the Bank of England's um, chief economist turn around and say. Actually, he thinks that extending the furlough scheme would just delay the inevitable. Um, what, what he termed as a, a process of readjustment, which is no doubt economics point of view for, for saying it's all going to go belly up at some point. I think that's in the economics textbook as um, a definition of a recession. Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. So, I mean, look, if you're a small business right now, you're, you're struggling. There's been um, uh, some, some grants in, uh, announced this week as well for local lockdown zones. If you're in lockdown in a local zone and you can't trade and nationally other businesses can trade, then you can get somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred pounds every three weeks um, through the uh, business rate system. I think that is, but is, if you're a small business, is, is it enough? Everything that's happened so far, is that going to keep you going now until next year and that battery payment or, you know, even, even sort of early on first quarter or is there more that's needed? Is the furlough scheme, does that need to be extended? Jamie, what do you reckon? I think it depends on the industry. I think, you know, the minute the government's told, you know, sort of nightclubs and whatever, you can't still reopen. So I think for certain industries, it needs to be very sort of tailored to certain Industries. If the government's saying you can't open, then why should they be saying, "Well, but we're not going to offer you any support"? So you're almost basically the government's almost telling those businesses, "Yeah, sorry, you've had enough. Um, we're not going to help you anymore going forward." But the car industry seems a slightly strange one to me in terms of, you know, if, if people, uh, you know, you're a big business, you relate, you know, you're able to trade, you're able to to, to produce cars now. I get that people probably don't have the money to afford a new car. But that's a problem with, you know, a hysteric problem with your industry. You've, you've created a scenario where people, you convince them to buy a new car every three years, yet you're making a product that's, that's good for 20 years. But you've convinced people to just buy it on finance and then buy a new one every three years. 
um, that's almost a problem that that, that industry itself has, has created to me. Um, that's my view. I don't know about you, James. Yeah, I, mean, I, I tend to agree. And this, this is the difficulty the government had with bringing out such a, a massive blanket policy very, very quickly um, with the furlough scheme that, yes, it would help distressed industries such as retail, such as um, nightclubs, pubs, etc. But because any business could benefit from it um, or you know, use the scheme, then a lot have, well, I, don't want, I don't want to say exploited the scheme, so anything wrong, but they, they maybe have used it to benefit their own business rather than actually for the purpose it's been used for. So they've sent people away on furlough. They're still having their salary paid. And in that time, they've restructured their business. And we're now seeing the first wave of redundancies from people coming back from furlough and finding they don't have a job. And so tailoring it makes perfect sense. But then how on earth do you differentiate between a pub who are opening but have a limited amount of opening hours they can do or limited amount of people they can invite in? A nightclub who can't open at all a leisure centre who can open partially and it becomes incredibly complicated. So the, the costs involved in the furlough scheme, I, I, I think are around the region of 10 billion a month off the top of my head, which is an absolutely extraordinary amount of money. And the argument for ending it is very much along the lines of if we continue this scheme, how long do we continue it for before the inevitable redundancies and inevitable economic decline? Do we just take the medicine now and, and worry about it later, or do we continue to build on government debt? And all things considered, having the furlough scheme having run for six months now virtually, I, I don't think there's much other option than to actually just end it. Because we can't keep paying ad finitum um, with the uncertainty that's around, with the, with the figures that are around. Because the evidence suggests that there still are gonna be major redundancies post furlough yeah so i, I certainly and i think i said last week the current stats are around about two two and a half million people are still on the furlough scheme um, and i think we discussed last week if you are still on the furlough scheme now it, it seems inevitable that come the end of october you're probably going to be negligent but it's uh yeah interesting to uh there's, there's definitely a, a couple of sides to that um debate and and people seem to be in both camps or either camp i should say um, one extending the furlough scheme and one saying, you know, enough's enough, we've had, we've had our fill out of it. It's very difficult. We're talking about people's livelihoods and their jobs, aren't we? So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't wish to be kind of blasé about it, but I think it's almost better now that for, for an economic point of view and for an individual point of view is if people are prepared for what's going to happen rather than just crossing their fingers and hoping that, an extension to the furlough scheme will change economic circumstances, which it won't, then at least at least people can get on with their lives, can't they? And yeah. um, it, it just, how, how long do we do it for? That's the problem. It's an open-ended checkbook and it, it's, it never ends well, these things for the government. It's, it's not. It, it, interestingly, Germany's, Germany's scheme um, is, I think, was planned for 24 months, but it's a lot less. The cost of it over a 24-month period is less than what we've spent to date. Um, and so, so it, it was more of a trickle effect over that 24 months rather than us turning around and saying, well, we'll pay 80% of everyone's wages, plus this, plus this, plus that. And, and, and I don't know, maybe that was, uh, that, you know, there's a longer or medium-term game rather than our short-term impact. I don't know, but we'll see yeah, how that one pans out. There, isn't it? German efficiency. Maybe, maybe it's just German efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so it's not all bad, though, I don't think, out there at the moment. So um, today's, uh, today's headline is that the economy grew by 6.6% uh, in July, although we're still uh, in 11 12% uh, smaller economy than it was in February. Number of companies coming out with some good results. Primark uh, are doing uh, really well, even though they were closed for a massive period of time. They're still on target to do 2 billion in sales um, this year. Amazon are up. Halfords have enjoyed a, a boom. SCF sofas, they're up. Uh, DFS, they were up, I think, last week. B&Q, Dunelm. They're all, everyone's, you know, reports are doing okay at the moment. Is this something that is just a, a, a boom after everyone was at home and couldn't spend any money? Or is it everything rosy? What do we think, Jamie? I think whilst we've been talking about the furlough scheme and it's been, oh yeah, it's only people are only getting 80% of their wages. But I think for some people, their costs reduced dramatically whilst they were sat at home doing nothing because they weren't topping up the car with petrol every other day or whatever and, and, and stuff like that. So people... Some people actually have found that they were able to save for the first time during during um, the lockdown, and and they've seen you know let's take SCS and DFS. You know, people have been sitting at home on the sofa and looked around and gone, "This could do with replacing," um, and find that they've actually got the money to, to go out and do that. Um, so there are people out there that have more disposable income, which is which can only be good for the um, economy because as long as these people are encouraged to go out and to go out and spend that and. That doesn't have to be just in, in in big national big national chains. I think there's definitely a push, um, and certainly I've I've tried to personally try and support more local businesses rather than if if I'm going out for a coffee, I won't go to one of the the big retailers. I'll try and find a local local cafe and, and spend my money in there because I want to support that local business. And I think there's definitely a drive to to try and do that. Um, which can only be good for hopefully good for for SMEs um, out there in our local area. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, the consumer spending they they said this week there was two different figures. Um, one was slightly up um, in August compared to July, and one was about four one and a half percent up. Um, and they said that most of that increase has been on takeaways, cafes, pubs, bars, that that kind of getting back into the eating out to help out. That scheme's come to an end. Will we see that continue? I don't know. But certainly the, the trend um, in, in August, July has been, you know, spend, people are spending money on their house. They're staying at home. They're spending money on their house. And that can only be a good thing. Whether or not it's, it's long-term enough to keep the economy going, I don't know. James, what are your thoughts? I think with people being at home so much more, as Jamie says, they're sat on their sofa, looked at the wallpaper and thought, oh, I don't like that. I've replaced that. Or they're, if you're anything like me, you've looked at your garden and thought, you know what, maybe we could put some artificial lawn down or something like that, something similar. And um, therefore, I think it's only natural that places like B&Q and the sofa firms have had a very buoyant um, lockdown. And we've also seen an increase in exercise equipment, for instance, and the like. And every double glazing company I know, their, their sales have gone through the roof. So I do feel that money is being spent. I do feel that certain industries will benefit. And I don't like to use the term a realignment, but I also think there has been um, an increase, I guess, because of the, 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 the nature of people appreciating their families more and their health more, that we are, we are going to see people spend maybe slightly less on material goods 
and more on improving their homes, their families, etc. And um, I, I believe that's where the economy is likely to go short term. And um, the, 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 the increase in sales of places like this and the, the increase in time being spent where families, whether eat out to help out schemes, it kind of backs that up a little bit. I mean, Amazon shares, we all know what's happened to them um, in the last in the last X period of time. And we mentioned the car industry earlier. Car sales are, are still currently pretty good because people are thinking, well, I've got some money now. You know what? I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to get that new car I've always wanted. Um, rather than sit on the money, which may be useless if they're six foot under. So I do, I do think that there are industries you should be very positive and confident going forward. Anything to do with home improvement, certainly. And um, you know, why not? Why not celebrate those stories now? Because it isn't all doom and gloom. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of industries which are very, very good and very, very strong going forward so let, let's celebrate the good news stories as well as the the concerning ones but that, that also offers good news for those people that are have been made redundant or will be made redundant there are other opportunities out there they might be in a slightly different industry to the one they're used to but there will be opportunities out there as as people's way of life changes i think we've got to look at the you know the number of people that are now even rather than going into a supermarket are doing home delivery and and, and the like and click and collect and and that is they those supermarkets need to employ people for that and i think we've seen you know, i think it's morrison's in iceland isn't it uh, you know have announced new jobs this week and in yeah. those areas so well yeah. running along that theme as well it was announced that uh, i think it was the first week in september a record number of limited companies were established a company's house um so uh, sorry i haven't got the figure i think it was in in the, in the region was over ten thousand which was a record. So a lot more people maybe are taking ownership of their own destiny, for want of a better term. They're starting those little micro businesses or they're, they've got some redundancy money and they're looking to do something a bit different. So as with all these things, um, you know, the, the, the economy will Phoenix and it may Phoenix slightly differently to what we had before, but people are, are naturally natural survivors, aren't they? And we find a way to do things. And so there's definitely a need to keep our chins up and definitely a need to focus on good news stories when they come about. Yeah, it's an interesting comment about um, the, the people deciding to set up limited companies, self-employment. As you know, I, one of the things that I do uh, in, in my day job is the, the signing off of settlement agreements. People that are being made redundant or having their employment terminated, they sign an agreement to say they won't sue the company. And I always ask them, you know, what they're, what they're going to be doing, what they're looking at, and if they're, you know, applying for jobs and that kind of thing. And I've seen, I've seen a, a, an increase in the people that are saying, well, actually, I, I'm, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to do, do what I was doing for them, but start my own business. And I think that the whole working from home uh, scenario has made people realize that they can do it, actually practically do it. Um, they can make some money out of it and they can also have that good home life balance that perhaps have missed in the in the corporate world um, which is good and Jamie you touched upon um, the click and collect one of the one of the uh, investment companies have, have been buying up co uh, com buying up commercial property and uh, and his uh, his theory was not that the high street is is dead at all that actually people will still need places to go and click and collect 
and you know the high street and those um, you know the out of town shopping uh, boxes starting to represent good value from an investment point of view because they're actually going to be around uh, for a while while people get their stuff delivered to there and click and collect. It's the it's perhaps the future of shopping. Maybe Argos has had it right all along. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Bring back Little Woods, I say. Little is that is that uh, is that what we need to do? Bring back the, the catalogue. It was sad a few weeks ago that Argos have, have cancelled that catalogue. It was a not about you, boyhood Christmas period spent looking at that, listing out what I'm gonna have. What it was the book of dreams, wasn't it? Absolutely. Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Is there anything else that either of you have spotted this week that you'd like to add in before we conclude? Shall we get three, you know, people from the East Midlands to take on Amazon? Should we, we try that one? <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, so referencing Amazon paying just about 2% of their overall turnover in, in, uh, in tax. So one of the things that we don't know about Amazon is the, uh, is the net contribution to tax. We have no idea, do we? But uh, it'd be nice if we could just pay two and, two and a bit percent of turnover on tax instead of, you know, corporation tax and dividend tax and all of that. that it's it's a complicated debate, isn't it? Because, um, yes, Amazon's tax... And we've had the same conversation over the years with people like Costa Coffee, etc. And their, their argument is, is very simple, back to us, in that they employ a considerable amount of people in this country who quite often are at the, the lower end of the scale with regard to skills and with regard to um, employment. And they employ them and they pay their tax national insurance while occupying high street premises, paying business rates, etc. And it's, it's hard to argue against that. And I think it's very difficult for people like us to make a, a balanced assessment without the information that you have just alluded to, Stephen, which is actually how many people do they employ? How much tax do they pay? What would be the, the, the cost of these people claiming the sort of benefits we talked about earlier, universal credits, etc., and and throwing it all in the pot and seeing what number comes out. And I yeah. suspect that the figure for an employer like Amazon with enormous warehouses and an enormous amount of staff would be that they are still a very strong net contributor towards HMRC. Um, be, and one of the things that uh, one of the things that people um, seem to miss, and certainly the, all the papers did, is that Amazon's an enabler. So there's lots of lots of people now that maybe have been made redundant that are starting to sell on Amazon, or they uh, they have a small company and they're they're selling on Amazon, and, and without Amazon they wouldn't have a business. And so they've enabled lots of smaller businesses to set up and those smaller businesses, hopefully, um, he says, hopefully are paying some tax and making a net contribution to things as well. So it's, it's a, it is a little bit harsh on Amazon to turn around and say... Well, even if they're not paying tax for whatever reason, they're, they're, generating, they're generating liquidity in, 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 in the economy. They're yeah. selling things and they're spending that money elsewhere to someone who may be paying tax. So... The, the economy is an, an impossibly difficult beast and just running things through spreadsheets doesn't always give the full picture. Um, and you, you're absolutely right. People are delivering for Amazon through, through some of those limited companies you mentioned earlier, I would imagine. And so it's, it is difficult, but I, I find it quite hard to criticize someone who employs so many people 
in this country and has continued to increase their staff when everyone else in the country hasn't been able to. I think I think people get blindsided by the fact that, you know, he's the richest man in the world. His ex-wife is now the richest woman in the world purely by divorcing him. You know, see these big companies, oh, they pay a tiny amount of tax. But as we say, look, they've, you know, they employ a load of people and, and even the stage of, well, everything, as you said, James, everything's got to be delivered. And then those people are going out, you know, and buying petrol, which has got tax on it. And, and it all kind of, it does, it does feed down, doesn't it? So I think, and even if the government introduces what this online sales levy, what are Amazon going to do with that? Pass it on to customers? Or are they going to swallow it themselves? I think we all know which, uh, which one they'll do. <laughs> and, and that's the problem with a business. who has got such a, a control, or it's not a monopoly, but it's a control over, over online sales. By doing it, they'd, they'd pass on a percentage to the client, and we probably would just absorb that ourselves. So, I, I hope the government tread carefully with this one. Um, they're just—they're one of the—they're one of the organisations that there've always been organisations and people that are like this. They're easy for us to attack. I, I read something on on Twitter yesterday or the day before that said um, that if Jeff Bezos had given a million pounds to each one of his employees. He would still be, he still have as much money as he had at the start of the pandemic, and and it's a, that's a great stat, isn't it? It's a great great stat to have. It makes him look like this, you know, horrible, horrible boss. Why are you not giving a million pounds to each one of your million employees worldwide? Um, but the reality of it is, he doesn't. Um, okay, my favourite story, my or my favourite quote this week, uh, in to sum up this podcast was, um, and I'm not having a go just because it's a law firm, but it was DWF, they're a listed law firm, and actually they've been doing okay, they, they, they seem to be doing all right, but obviously they've seen a profit drop, 32% for the year end in April. And the thing that made me smile so much was the, what came across like an incredibly arrogant approach to, uh, to things, that he said, uh, the chief exec said that um, they blamed clients for not being able to work remotely as well as the firm could. Um, so if you're in a small business, perhaps not blame the clients, perhaps don't blame your customers for not doing so well. You might want to look at your own business and work out how you can change your delivery. That's, that sounds like a typical solicitor, to be fair. There's empathetic people, they're lovely people. Thanks for listening to the Business Herald podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the uh, newsletter via the website at www.businessherald.com and you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it on iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your usual podcast place. We'll be back again next Friday and in the meantime, have a good week. There we go. And talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my favourite story of the week, do you see about the uh, Frenchman that blew up his house by trying to swat a fly? I, I did see that. I, I haven't read that in detail, but it, an amazing yeah, headline. He's using one of those electric zappers, but he also had the gas on. Oh, no. Right. And the gas just, like, you know, ignited with the electric zapper. I mean, presumably he killed the fly by blowing up the house, but... You'd be well annoyed, though, wouldn't you? If, they, if, if then the house is burning down and the fly's like... On the top of the fire. You'd be like, damn it. Yeah. Fly, fly's doing this from the roof, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
Yeah, that's it. There was a there was a um, there's another house burning story as well. I've not I didn't read, but I saw the headline: a, a gender reveal party in California led oh, to a I house saw burning that. down. Started a wildfire, didn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that worked, but maybe it's that same fly going. Yeah, come on, he's a pyromaniac. 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 Yeah. <laughs>